turn in God's inspired word tonight to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, the text is verses 3 through 8. I won't reread that due to the length, but pay close attention to verses 3 through 8. I used this a couple weeks ago in Edgerton for a, a Christmas sermon, but it certainly has application to us tonight too, and application to us as we begin this new year, 2024. Matthew 2 will begin at verse 1. This is the word of God. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. When ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, Lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother 
and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called the Nazarene. So far do we read God's holy and inspired word. May he bless that word unto our hearts. The text again is verses 3 through 8. I'll refer to those verses throughout the sermon. The story in Matthew chapter 2 begins by speaking of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Matthew 2 doesn't give us the details of that birth. Those details are found in Luke chapter 2. Joseph and pregnant Mary traveled from Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem in the south because Emperor Caesar Augustus commanded that the Jews register for taxation in the city of their fathers. Well, when Joseph and Mary got to Bethlehem, there was no room for them in the town to stay because there were so many others that had also come to register for this taxation. Joseph and Mary eventually found shelter in what was probably a cave on the outskirts of the city where travelers kept their animals for the night. And there, probably that very night, Mary brought forth her firstborn son, Jesus the Savior. That same night, a little way away in Bethlehem, in fields, there were angels that appeared to shepherds and announced to those shepherds the birth of the Christ child, the birth of the Savior. Those shepherds, they immediately went and they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And they then, according to Luke 2, went forward and spread this news concerning the child. Christ's child had been born. Now, Matthew 2 seems to indicate that that news must not have spread much beyond Jerusalem. At least that's what it seems to indicate. And based on the events of Matthew 2, it also seems that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Joseph must have bought a house there in Bethlehem for himself and Mary and their little child, Jesus. Because we read that that's where they are living when Jesus is young here in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2 reveals that when Jesus was born, wise men saw his star in the east and came to Jerusalem to find him. We don't know how many wise men there were. We do not know exactly where they were from. Most believe that they were from Persia or Babylon, and that's simply because of the term in verse 2, wise men, which is literally in the Greek, magi. And magi was a term for those who studied the stars in countries like Babylon and Persia in those days. Men who studied the stars, and they often lived in the palace of the ruler. So these magi were important men. And these wise men would have had contact with the Jews in this land in the east where they lived because the Jews had been taken into captivity into Babylon and spread out in those lands. So they heard about the promised 
Messiah, the promised king of the Jews. And they believed that king of the Jews was also their king who would defeat sin and death for them. These particular wise men were believers. And probably right around the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, these wise men saw an unusual star in the east. And God must have made known to them that this was Christ's star, for that's what they call it in verse 2. And seeing that star, they then headed by faith to Jerusalem to see this child. They probably didn't follow the star all the way there to Jerusalem because we read of the star reappearing to them in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. They went to Jerusalem likely because that was the known capital of the Jews. And they thought someone there certainly will be able to direct us to where the Christ child is. So they headed to Jerusalem, and that distance to Jerusalem was likely around a thousand miles from where they were in, in Babylon or Persia or near or in country in the east, probably around a thousand miles. So it must have taken them a, a decent amount of time to get all the way to Jerusalem. But when they got there, they started asking the question that's found at the end of verse 2. Read, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Today we will hear about Jerusalem's response to this question and to the good news that these wise men brought. And we will learn from this what is to be our response to the good news. May we see God's salvation. May we see his, his grace today. May we worship him on bended knee. Consider the text under the theme, Jerusalem's response to the good news. First, a troubled people. Second, an inactive people. And third, an evil plot. A troubled people and an active people and an evil plot. First, a troubled people. The people of Jerusalem were troubled by the news these wise men brought about a newborn king of the Jews. And we begin by looking at Herod. Herod's talked about a lot in the text. This Herod that's spoken of here is the first of the Herods that we read of in the scriptures. He was known as Herod the Great, and he ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., he was given this position by Rome, by Caesar Augustus, the emperor. He had probably done some political maneuvering and, and different things, did certain things at the right time to impress Caesar and got this position now as king of the Jews. However, Herod, understand, was not a Jew. Herod's father was an Edomite and thus a descendant of Esau. And the Jews who were descendants of Jacob were not all that thrilled to be ruled by a descendant of Esau. But that's what he was. And this Herod was not only an Edomite, but he was a very wicked man. Matthew chapter 2 shows his cruelty, murdering the children, two years old and under, in Bethlehem. But historians also speak in the history books about his cruelty and violence. 
And they often speak of him as a man that was paranoid about his throne. This Herod was one that actually killed his wife and some of his own sons because he thought they might have a plot to kill him and take the throne. That was the kind of man Herod was. So you can understand that when news of the wise men and their message reached the palace, Herod was very troubled. These were magi. These were important men from the east. These men came with news of a newborn king of the Jews. Verse 3 says, Herod was troubled by this, meaning he was agitated. He was upset within. It even has the idea of him fearing. Herod did not want someone else to be king of the Jews. He wanted power. He loved power more than anything else. He had worked hard to get this position for a long time. Now there was a rumored new king of the Jews. Herod was was upset. Herod was an old man, understand, by the time these wise men arrived in Jerusalem. He would actually die only two years later. So one might wonder why he was so upset about a a baby that was being called king of the Jews. This baby wouldn't probably affect his reign, one might think. But understand, Herod was still upset at this news because he was concerned about his legacy Herod wanted one of his sons to reign, as many in history have, many kings. They want one of their sons to reign so that their name continues into history. And they're they're known as a great family, great rulers. Herod was also so troubled by this news because he was afraid that if the Jews really thought that the Messiah had come, they might storm the palace and overthrow him in their excitement. Many Jews knew something about the promise of the the Christ being a spiritual savior. But they especially thought that this promised Christ, this promised king, would be a great political deliverer. Herod thought the Jews might get into such a fervor over this supposed political deliverer being born that they would storm the palace and overthrow him who was put on that throne by the Romans. So the news of a newborn king of the Jews greatly troubled him. And do understand before we move on from Herod that he knew who the Messiah was. We even read in verse 4 that he asks the, the, the religious leaders, he says, where should the Christ be born? That title Christ is the same title as Messiah in the Old Testament. Messiah is just Hebrew. Christ is Greek. And what it means is anointed one. The idea of the term is that he is the anointed prophet, priest, and king. Herod knew about him, but he thought like the Jews that this promised Messiah would especially be a political deliverer, an earthly king that would bring 
earthly peace and prosperity to the Jews. And Herod didn't want that. It was really his worst nightmare that this newborn king of the Jews would come now. Herod didn't want to lose his throne. Herod did not want the Romans, who were his friends, his buddies, he didn't want them to lose their control here either. But verse 3 doesn't just tell us about Herod. Herod was troubled, and then it adds that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. You read that at the end. All Jerusalem with him. Why was Jerusalem troubled? Well, the Jews were uneasy when they heard this news because they feared what Rome might do if Rome heard about a newborn king of the Jews. We find that was a concern of the Jews throughout Jesus' life, especially during his public ministry. John 11, verse 48. John 11, verse 48 tells us what the religious leaders in Jerusalem later said about Jesus. This is a quote. They say, if we let him, that's Jesus, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. The Romans were powerful. The most powerful army in the world. They crushed everybody. The Jews thought, well, what if they hear about a, a rival to Caesar? Are they going to come and destroy us? What are they going to do? They were uneasy about that. And, and, and second, Jerusalem was troubled because they feared what Herod would do. They knew Herod as a man that was violent, that loved power. They wondered what he might do if he even saw or heard someone voicing support for this Messiah. So they were troubled. And this troubled reaction of the Jews and of Jerusalem... It's significant for a couple reasons. We're going to look at two reasons this is significant. First, it points to the, the Jews' later rejection of Jesus, which brought Christ to the cross. It points to the Jews' later rejection of Jesus, which brought him to Calvary. One would think that the Jews would have joyfully received this news about the Messiah. They knew the scriptures. They knew of what the law said. Wouldn't, wouldn't they see their sins and then hear about this, this promised Messiah being born and, and rejoice and ask the wise men, wise men, we've got to go find him. Where is he? What about this star? Let's go find him now and worship him. One would think that would be the reaction, but instead they were troubled According to verse 3, that shows they must have not been truly longing for the Messiah's coming. And certainly, we're not longing, desiring, a spiritual deliverer from sin. Their current lives were mostly comfortable, and they did not want anything to rock the boat, to upset the way things currently were. Maybe they feared the Romans coming and, and the economy being hurt badly. What could the Romans do to their economy if they heard about this king of the Jews? So they were not 
their reaction of being troubled shows they were not truly longing for the Messiah and really rejected him. And their re their rejection of or their their trouble of him at his coming points to their rejection of him during his public ministry. During his public ministry, there would be a time where they would have interest in him. And that's because they would see his miracles. And they would, they would think, as he's an adult, they're standing before them and doing these miracles. He can solve our problems with Rome right now. He could get rid of them and make Israel great again. As it was in the days of David and Solomon. But in the end, they would be angered by him. Because he would continue to speak of being a spiritual savior from sin. Made them angry. Made them so mad they brought him to the cross. The Jews' rejection of Jesus, that of course is, is so important and it's so necessary for our salvation. Think of that. God used their sin, their rejection of the Christ, to save us. God used the Jews' rejection of Jesus to bring him to the cross to die the accursed death, the death necessary to save us believers from our terrible sins and our failures to always hate sin and delight in all righteousness. God was in control of all this according to Acts chapter 2, verse 23. We read in Acts 2, verse 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But notice that. Delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God was in control of all this. In control of even the thoughts of the Jews. For our good. For my good. Someone that lives 2,000 years later. Someone who is a terrible sinner. God was thinking of me. He was thinking of you believers here. Amazing. He directed and planned all things for our salvation. Praise Him. Second, the Jews being troubled by Jesus coming is significant because it reminds us that there are many sinners. It reminds us of how many sinners react to the news of Jesus coming. Many hear about, about Jesus and and about Christ and what he is about. They hear about that even in the past couple weeks during, during the Christmas season. They hear the truth about what Christmas really is about. They hear that this Jesus is a savior from sin. And when they hear that he is a savior from sin, they become agitated and upset. They do not want a savior from sin and do not want one that calls them to turn from the sins that the scripture speaks of. They want to continue doing what they please, marrying whom they please, however many times that they please, doing what they desire on the Lord's day. 
They do not want to hear that those things are sinful and of a Savior that saves from those sins. They say that very idea is judgmental to talk about those sins and needing salvation from it. They become agitated and upset. They say, not my king. I will not submit to him. My life, my choice. I'll do what I want. I'm my own king. Now understand that's not just people out there that act like that when they hear the news about Jesus coming. But that is how we all would react if not for God's marvelous grace. Romans 5 verse 12 says that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And then it speaks of how we, by nature, are all dead in sin. Death passed upon us all, it says. So what I would do, if not for God's grace, is I would reject Christ. As king. And I would say, my life, my choice, I'm my own king. That would be my reaction. I would flee, run from any message about this savior from sin. That's what I would do. So that truth reminds us again, salvation is entirely of the Lord. In the second place this evening, the text indicates that the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, they were inactive when they heard the news of the wise men and even read about the prophecy of where he would be born. They were inactive. Herod, being troubled by the news of the wise men's coming and what their message was, he called the religious leaders in Jerusalem together to answer an important question. Matthew 2 verse 4 says, When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. It's quite possible that Herod already knew the answer to that question. In John chapter 7 verses 40 to 43, we read that all the Jews knew that Christ should be born in Bethlehem. And Herod, understand, was raised in the religion of the Jews. Herod even joined them in many of their ceremonies. Herod was a man like many political rulers today that really adopt the religion of the people and do that often for political gain. Herod probably knew where the Christ was to be born, but Herod wanted to be absolutely sure, so he called in the men that he knew would know. He called in the chief priests and scribes, according to verse 4. The chief priests refer to the high priest in Jerusalem at that time, as well as the high priests that were still alive, that used to be high priests. And then he also called the scribes in. The scribes were, they were the experts. They, they, they studied the word so that they could teach it to the people. And they copied the word down. They knew the word. These men answered Herod's question about where the Christ should be born right away. 
immediately telling him Bethlehem. And quoting an Old Testament passage, we we read in verses 5 through 6, they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That refers to a prophecy from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But they really didn't quote the verse as I just said a moment ago. It was more of a paraphrase of Micah 5 verse 2. They gave gave Herod the necessary information about where the Christ would be born, but they did change some words from that prophecy, and we'll look at that briefly. Think about as we look at it, the differences between what these religious leaders say and what Micah said. See the differences and think about why they may have, have done this. First, While Micah 5 verse 2 says that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, these religious leaders, they say that he'll be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem, Ephrata, that word Ephrata simply means fruitful. These religious leaders say he'll be born in Bethlehem of Judea because they want to make clear that he is born not in Bethlehem of Zebulun, which was another town of that day, way in the north. They wanted to make clear to Herod, he was born just a little ways away in Bethlehem of Judea. It's within your jurisdiction, Herod, this Bethlehem is. Second, Micah 5 verse 2 says about Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. But these, these religious leaders say that Bethlehem is not the least among the princes of Judah. So Micah was pointing out the insignificance, the smallness of the place where the Messiah would be born. But these religious leaders are are really saying the opposite. They're saying it's a great place. Because they know it as the place where this great king was to be born. Third, Micah 5 verse 2 ends by saying this. Micah 5 verse 2 ends by saying, Out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The religious leaders in Judah took that last part out, the part about him being from everlasting, and instead just ended their paraphrase with the truth that he'll be a ruler. They have their reasons for doing so as they're talking to Herod, who can become quite agitated, quite violent. But they gave Herod what he wanted to know. Now Herod knows he's close by. He's only four and a half miles away in Bethlehem of Judea. How did Herod respond to this? Well, he believed what these religious leaders said. He did not dismiss the scriptures as ridiculous, fairy tales, something that's not true. Herod the Great didn't think of the scriptures that way. No, he, he really, he believed the scriptures. He didn't have a saving faith, but he believed what the scriptures said were true. He shows that even by asking 
the religious leaders to come in the first place and tell him where the scriptures say he'll be born. And then notice he tells the wise men later to go to Bethlehem, the city that the scriptures say he'll be born in. So Herod, in a certain sense, believed the scriptures, but he believed the scriptures the way the devil believes the scriptures. The devil doesn't act like the scriptures are fairy tales either, but he takes them very seriously also. The devil, for instance, believes believed the, the promise in Genesis 3 verse 15 that the Christ would come and crush the head of the serpent. He thought, that's a serious promise. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he knows that promise too, that this Christ would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. But the devil, he believes the scriptures in, in this sense. He takes them seriously and he wants to keep them from happening. He wants to keep them from being fulfilled. That's why throughout the Old Testament, he's raising up enemy nations against Judah seeking to destroy the Israelites, which includes the line of Christ. And he seeks to have the line of kings destroyed numerous times in Old Testament history. Her, or the, the devil takes the scriptures seriously but wants to keep them from being fulfilled. And that's exactly what Herod wanted too. He saw Micah 5 verse 2 as a real prophecy and he thought, I've got to keep it from happening. You can see the devil behind that, behind that wicked, wicked idea of Herod, those wicked thoughts. How, though, did the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders, act after hearing the news of the wise men and then even reading the prophecy that dealt with where he would be, where the Christ would be born? Well, how they reacted was inactivity. They did nothing. Think of who they were. They were men that claimed to be longing for the Messiah to come. Men that claimed to love the God who promised him. Men who outwardly obeyed the law. They knew the scriptures even as is evidenced by their immediate answer to Herod regarding where the Christ should be born. And yet, when these knowledgeable men, when they heard the wise men say that the promised Messiah had come, and they even read the prophecy, he'll be born in Judah, or be born in Bethlehem, they did nothing! They did, they did not ask the wise men more questions. They did not go with them to Bethlehem to see this child and to worship. No, they went right back to their regular everyday duties. Inactive. They were happy Herod was satisfied. Go right on with life. There are many like the Jewish religious leaders today. They know who the Christ is. They know scripture. They even can talk a lot about scripture. Maybe they went to a Christian school growing up, went to church growing up, maybe still even go to church. And, and it seems even enjoy to have theological discussions, find it quite interesting, but actually they are inactive. 
They do not come to Christ in faith, truly sorrowing over their sins and trusting in Him alone for deliverance from those sins. They do not come to Christ in faith, but also don't come to Him to worship. And that word worship is used in Matthew 2 a couple times, and what it means is to bow the knee. They do not bow the knee in mind and action to God, saying really, I am low and thou art great. They continue in their sins. They even know about hell, but they suppress the idea of it. Because they maybe think, well, I don't do this bad thing that my neighbor does. I'm a lot better than a lot of people, so I'll be going to heaven. We need to think about ourselves too here. What is our response? What's my response to the news of, of Jesus coming? Almost everyone here knows a lot about Jesus. Knows the scriptures. Went to a Christian school growing up. Went to church their whole life. Had catechism instruction. We know the scriptures like the religious leaders of the Jews did. You're well educated. It could be, though, that some here react to the news of Jesus coming. We've heard a lot about that these past weeks. It could be that some here react to the news of Jesus coming like the religious leaders of the Jews did. Maybe some here are continuing an unrepentant sin. And by doing so, are showing that they do not care about Christ just like these religious leaders didn't really care about him. And they are not trusting in him for salvation. Maybe one is continuing in sins against the seventh commandment, sexual sin, lusting, pornography, whatever it may be. Maybe we are continuing in dishonor towards authority, whether that be the government, parents, teachers, Maybe we are continuing in gossip, which is really hatred of the neighbor. Or just ignoring someone in church. We're mad at them. We're not going to talk to them. Maybe it's some other sin. Or maybe someone today acts similar, similarly to the Jews in that while they come to this building for the worship services, they do not truly worship Jesus Christ. They don't come really to worship Him. Maybe you come to worship here each Sunday because your parents come and they really are, you could say they're making you. You come just to keep them happy or you come to keep your grandparents happy or you come for the social aspect to keep a good name amongst the people that you know that you grew up with. That's really no different than the Jewish religious leaders that we read about in Matthew chapter 2. They know a lot, but they do not come to Christ in faith and in worship. So our response to Christ's coming must be as follows. Come to Him in faith, sorrowing over your sins and trusting in Him alone for salvation from those sins. Come to Him to worship. 
truly bowing the knee here each week in mind and action, saying in your heart, I am low, but thou, Lord, thou art great. Worship him by living a life of repentance, thankfulness for Christ. That's our calling. Come to Christ. Now after Herod heard that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, he called the wise men to himself, and he came up with an evil plot. Verse 7 says, Then Herod, when he had, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So notice it says in verse 7, he privily called them. That means he called them privately or in secret. Don't know exactly how that was done. It may be that he sent a servant out into the streets of Jerusalem to find those wise men. That servant found them and, and explained to them, guys, Herod, the king, he wants to talk to you about this message that you're bringing about the Christ. Come with me. Let's go see him. Maybe he even took them through some secret passageway into a room where Herod was. And you can imagine Herod treating them really well wanting information from them, seeing their important, important men from the east. Herod treats them really well, no doubt about that, and, and probably acted very interested in the Christ and asked them all kinds of questions, knowing that these men had traveled so far to see him and loved him, loved the Christ. Probably acted very interested in the Christ, and especially in this aspect. What time the star appeared? He knew the Messiah was born. He knew where he was born. The final piece of information that he wanted was when. So you can imagine Herod asking, when did you first see that star? What did it look like? Can I still see it? Asking him all these questions. And when the wise men explained what time the star appeared and indicated the child was probably still young, Herod came up with a plan. Verse 8 tells us that he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said this. He gave them a couple instructions. He said, go and search diligently for the young child. Search everywhere you can in that, that town of Bethlehem. Ask questions. You've got to find him, Herod says. And then he adds this. When you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. That probably seemed like a Good idea to the wise men. This king, great king, powerful king, he's interested in the Messiah. Bethlehem's not very far away. We're going to go there and find him and then tell, tell the king, and he'll spread the news about his birth, and more and more we'll hear about it and worship. But Herod's plan was not a good plan. It was actually evil. Matthew 2, verses 13 through 17 shows us what an evil plan it was. Herod's idea here was that these wise men would go find exactly where the Christ child was, come back and tell him. When those wise men went back on their way towards their country in the east, Herod would then send men to Bethlehem. And those men would murder the Christ child. Herod would protect his throne. Herod then, you see, was among the worst hypocrites and liars 
that ever lived. He acted like he wanted to worship the Christ child, and what he really wanted was to kill him. However, Herod was not in control. God was in control. And seeking our salvation, God kept Herod's plan from working. Psalm 2. Psalm 2 helps us understand what happened here in this history. And and Psalm 2, of course, was written many, many years before the history in Matthew 2. But it has everything to do with this history. If you go there a moment, you'll see that. Matthew, or excuse me, Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 2, says this. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Remember, Christ means anointed one. So these rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. That's referring to the truth that kings throughout history tried to keep the Christ from coming and ruling. But verse 4 says this. Verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. So all these plans are made by these mighty kings and rulers, but the Lord sits in the heavens and laughs. He's in control. Foolish men cannot keep his plan from happening and from Christ from ruling. Almighty God rules. And he protected his son for our salvation. After the wise men left, they got to Bethlehem. They saw the Christ child, worshipped him, and then God warned them not to return to Herod, but to go a different way home. And they did that. And then God, through an angel, came to Joseph and told Joseph that Herod had this plan to kill the the Christ child and to leave then Bethlehem and go to Egypt. And Joseph did that with Mary and Christ, went down to Egypt. Now, when the wise men did not return to Herod, Herod was wroth, we read, he was mad, and he horribly demanded all the children in Bethlehem, two years old and younger, be killed. But you know who was already gone? The Christ child. God protected him for the salvation of us, his people. Christ could not die as a child at the hands of Herod. For then he could not save us. Christ had to die the accursed death of the cross under the wrath of God to pay for our terrible sins and save us from those sins and the hell we deserve for them. He had to die the accursed death to save us from God's everlasting curse against sin. God then was thinking of us. He was thinking of us and he protected Christ here so that we have everlasting life. Do you see how amazing that is? Doing that for me, for you, with us in mind. Repent of your sins against him. 
than worship him, praise him, bow the knee. And remember that what happened to Herod's, remember what happened to Herod's plan here when you think about the years to come and be comforted. Today there's powerful technology that's being developed called AI or artificial intelligence. It's something that I confess not to know, not even close to everything about it. Some of you probably know a lot more. But it's called AI. And with this intelligence, people will be able to spread great lies. Because what you can do is you'll be able to make it appear online to billions that someone said something, like a Christian said something that they never said. But it'll look so real. And they'll be able to put online to billions that uh, show that a man did something that's, that's not even real. Think of what they'll be able to do then with the Antichrist and the things they'll be able to show him doing. They will deceive, deceive many. And we can start to worry as we think about all that technology, what, what will the wicked do to us? What will the wicked do to our children, our grandchildren? What will happen in the years to come? But what happened with the plan of the powerful King Herod shows that God is in control, making all things work for the salvation of his people. And we really have nothing to fear then. Nothing to fear. It, if you knew, think about this, if you were living at the time of Herod and you knew about Herod's plan to kill Christ, you might have begun to fear. Herod's powerful. But there really would have been no reason to fear, right? Absolutely no reason. God was in control. Well, the same is true today and for the rest of time and on into eternity. God is in control. Powerful rulers and scientists today cannot thwart God's plan. He will keep us and our children in salvation in Jesus Christ as the scriptures say, he will return in Jesus Christ and will rule us forever in the new heavens and new earth, a place where there's no sin or any of the effects of sin, but only perfect life with God. He will rule us in Christ forever and bring us to that day as the scriptures say. How many times we read that in Matthew 2, that this happened as the scriptures say. Well, that's because... God rules. He's in control. Nothing can thwart his plan. So trust in him. Do not fear. Worship him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father with chart in heaven, Lord, we are amazed at thy goodness to us and thy thoughts towards us even long ago so that thou didst rule all things for our salvation. And rule all things so that Christ went to the cross and died the accursed death. The death necessary to pay for our many terrible sins. Lord, what a great God thou art. May we come to Christ in faith, trusting in him more and more. Come and worship. And never fear, trusting that thou dost rule. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing Psalter number four.